listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. This morning, good to see y'all. And we are going to be continuing in the the book of Exodus. If you're our guest, we've been working through the book of Exodus since, has it been January? I don't even remember. But we started it a while ago, and I think we're in week 15 or so. So we're going to be in chapter 17 and 18 this morning. Uh, One of my favorite theologians uh, had a famous quote, and it was this, whole life have a balance, everything be better. Of course, that famous theologian is Mr. Miyagi. Um, he wasn't a Calvinist, but he was on to something. If your whole life has balance, everything will be better because life is, is complex. I may use an illustration here that I used. I cleaned out the garage yesterday. So, oh man, I can't even bend over because I cleaned out the garage. That means you're getting old. Um, so yeah, we clean out the garage. It's like, I got to go back to my PE days. And so life is complex, right? And when you're younger, it's more simple. So when you're young, you know, you got like not, not a lot to worry about. You got, okay, I got to eat my mac and cheese. I got that. That's pretty easy. I got my spelling test and I got to clean my room. That's pretty simplistic, right? Life is simpler when you're young, but as you get older, uh, it gets more complex as you add activities, as you add responsibilities. So you go off to uh, high school or college, right? And so it's a little bit more challenging. And I'm on this team in high school. Uh, and then I uh, have my spiritual life, which is vital to, to everything, the most important thing. And so I got all these things I'm managing. And then I go to college. I go off to, to University of Georgia to get disappointed every fall. Um, <laughs> And then, um, and then I got, you know, I'm, I'm part of this young life and uh, I got this big project. That's a big project. End of semester, you know, t- team project, five of us working on it. The one guy, he doesn't do anything, so I got to do his part. And then, um, and then I got a part-time job because my parents stopped sending me money because you're 19 and they shouldn't be sending you money. Um, and then I meet the one. There, right? There's the one. And then everything else. And then I graduate and I get a job. And I get... Uh, I got to be part of this small group and I got to, uh, I get a dog because for some reason, 23 year olds think they have to get a dog and, and I got, and I got this going on and then I get married to the one, uh, and then I have kids and then I got t-ball practice and I got a job and, and you see what happens. Now I'm going to fall over in the sermon you, you keep adding complexities to life and it just gets crazier and crazier and crazier and stuff drops. Why? Mr. Miyagi says, whole life have balance, everything be better, right? Um, if you don't, you're gonna drop balls and you're gonna, people are gonna be disappointed and you're gonna forget this and you're gonna lose this and this is not gonna be getting done the way it should be, Right? All those things, you're supposed to do that for that person. Oh, you forgot. You dropped the ball on that project. You're supposed to email that person. And all these things and things are falling everywhere. And many of you live like this. This is how you live. This is your life. And, and if you continue down that path, we have words for it. It's called burnout. Right? Depression, anxiety comes. You, you are physically exhausted because you're not sleeping. You're eating poorly because all you're doing is hitting Wendy's and a four for four. And then you're going to this next meeting and you're doing this. And you're driving kids to T-ball in the minivan and you're eating fries off the floor because that's all you got. Right? You're going to crash physically, emotionally, spiritually. 
All right, this is where you live. And instead of your life being that of joy and delight, it is duty, everything's duty and despair. And that is not how God intended us for us to live. And the good news is this, you're not the only one. You're not the only one in the room. You're not the only one in the Bible. This is why the, the scripture is so applicable to us because Moses, our guy, is headed in this direction and God is going to send someone to stop him before he crashes. And he's going to take the advice of this man. And my prayer for us this morning is that you would take the advice of this man who speaks to Moses 4,000 years ago. All right, so we're gonna be in Exodus 17 and, and we'll just talk about avoiding burnout and crash and fighting the tyranny of the urgent and finding help to stay the course and endure and to live the life that God has called you to. Because we don't want to be that, that, you know, that sparkler, July 4 sparkler that's bright for four seconds and then burns out. We want to have a view for, of longevity for 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road where we're enduring Right? That, we're, that we're not just balancing act and dropping things, that we actually succeed and, and see fruit. And so we're gonna see this advice that God gives to Moses. And I'm not here, here's what I'm not offering. I'm not offering some, some formulaic approach that if you just plug these things in, everything will be good. The Bible is, not that, is, is, is more complex than that. Your life is more complex than that. This is not a A plus B equals yay. It's some principles that are true because God has said them and put them in his word that if you start applying these generally to your life, you'll start seeing fruit. And you'll start seeing some balance. Not easiness, but some balance. Right? So we're gonna look at two narratives. Right? The first narrative, real quick, is gonna be the first battle that the Israelites are gonna see. The second one's gonna be a family reunion where someone gives some advice. And, and the beauty of scripture is I could go and I could take this in many different ways. And what I wanna zoom in on this morning though is just, okay, how do we have balance? What, is, what does God say about some things? This is a very simplistic and very practical, but there's some deep theological principles here that I think that are significant so that we can live life that's, that's balanced and not be dropping things, all right? Chapter 17, verse eight, let's jump in. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Amalek is a descendant of Esau. He's, remember, the brother of Jacob, the twin. We looked at him back uh, last spring. Uh, so they're relatives. And what we find out from the book of Deuteronomy, you do a little research, is that the Amalek was attacking the rear guard of Israel as they're walking through the wilderness and kind of picking off the stragglers. So Moses has got to do something, so he does. So Moses said to Joshua, Joshua, the first time we we're introduced to Joshua, he's the guy who wrote the book. This is the guy who takes over after Moses. He's a younger man at this point. He says, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow. I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. We don't know who Hur is. Aaron is his older brother. So he's older than Moses, who was 80. And Hur, uh, all we know about him, he's from the tribe of Judah. And he has a grandson who is gonna build the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, we'll find out later out in the book. So we know he's old enough to have grandkids. Uh, Jewish history and tradition says that he was Miriam's husband. We don't know for sure about that, but it makes sense. So he's got his bro two brother-in-laws who are both older than him because Miriam was older than him. Uh, and they go up on the hill and Joshua goes down into the valley to fight. And whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Okay, another garage find. This one actually was in my room. I, I saw a bat in my garage and I picked this one on my office because I keep a bat in my office because it's my thinking bat and I walk around and prepare for sermons like this. And the guys know this. But so here's the idea. This is the staff of Moses. This is the staff of a PEXP teacher, right? But this is the staff of Moses. The idea is his hands are up on the hill. 
looking down at the battle, and Israel's win, winning. When his hands drop, they start losing. And so the question is, well, then why don't you keep your hands up? Because it's not as easy as it looks, right? This is about a 34 ounce bat. So I had a little experiment this week, me and Greg Durkin, our director of operations. I said, okay, I want you to get to, I have another bat in my office. I have two bats in my office. Um, and so I, I said, gave him a bat and I took a bat. I said, we're going to hold this up in our hand, up for 10 minutes, see if we can do it. So we did. I set a timer and we held it for 10 minutes. And after like five minutes, I'm like, this is, this is, this is not easy. And after 10, I'm like, how much time? I keep looking at the clock. It's, it's hard. This is only like 36 ounces. Moses is a strong dude. But I mean, a battle lasts longer than 10 minutes. And so he's struggling. That's why his arms go down. That's what the text says. Look at the next verse, verse 12. But, when Moses, but Moses' hands grew weary. And so they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So his arms go down, he's getting tired. And so Aaron and Hur, they, they, they put a little stone, a little lawn chair under him and they prop up his arms. And so I love this image that the key to the victory of Israel is three octogenarians on top of the mountain. That's the key to the victory. But here's the first principle that I want you to see this morning. And and it's significant and it's big for us. Is that do not struggle alone. Don't struggle alone. We don't know. The text doesn't tell us if Moses was like, guys, a little help. Or they at some point realized he's hurting. Maybe we should help him. Nah, let him struggle. We We don't know how it happened. All we do know is this, is that they recognized that Moses could not do it alone and he was key to winning this battle. So what are they in? They help out and they succeed. And I have a feeling that there's a lot of us out there that are struggling to keep our arms up and you're you're crashing and your arms are, are shaking because you got work and kids and cleaning and bills and I'm looking for a spouse and I'm looking for a job and I just found out I have to go to a specialist for this for the next three weeks and I'm a single mom struggling with this and I'm, I'm a college student working on uh, this, this master's but I also got a full-time job and, and I'm overwhelmed and I'm facing depression and I got anxiety and, and I got to take care of my older parents and you got all these things and you're struggling to keep your arms up and you don't know how much longer you can keep your arms up and the key for us is to be humble enough to say, little help. Can someone please help me? Right? That, that's how God has designed us. Right? Someone to help your arms. And see, I don't, I don't know why that is so hard. I do know why, but why is that so hard for us? I mean, we have a prayer team that meets after every service in this hallway. They pray for you generically, you know, over, uh, during the service, but they specifically will meet with people and pray. And let me tell you, it is very rarely used by y'all. And it cannot be, it is rarely used because you ain't got stuff going on. It can't be that everyone here is doing great, happy, happy, all. It cannot be that. Unless I'm the only train wreck in here. And I'm pretty sure I'm not. Right? Why? Why is it so hard to admit that we need help? Why is it so hard to admit that we're struggling? Because we went to college, because we got a good job, because my Facebook is so, so, so picture perfect and edited and everything else so that everyone thinks everything is great. 
I think we're, it's just like men who go to the grocery store. You come home with $250 worth of groceries and there's some rule written somewhere that you have to make one trip. And so you're coming in and you got all the groceries, you got them in your mouth and you got them. And the reality is the eggs are cracked, the bread is, bread is squished, the milk falls and, and you know, the oranges are, are all nasty now. And, but you got it all in one trip. And we got to stop with that chaos, right? We got to stop. If you're overwhelmed, ask, hey, could you, pray, could you pray for us? We are struggling. We are wrestling. Hey, I need help. Could you just somebody just take my kids for one week? <laughs> one month? Could, could you come over and just watch my kids for an hour while I have a doctor's appointment? Could, maybe it's with spouses, honey. I really, these, these children are driving me nuts. Can you just take them for an hour? Can, can you teach them how to empty the dishwasher without breaking everything? Can you... Whatever it is that you would just say, I'm struggling, my arms are about to fall, could you help? Some of you are there. The other half of you are, you know what you are? Maybe you're, you're, you're fine right now, but what you need to do is you need to be an Aaron and you need to be a her. And instead of sitting back saying, look at Moses, he's wrestling. You need to get in the game and you need to prop up an arm. You need to, you, need to, you see a need, you meet a need. You hear about a need, you have the capability, you meet a need. That's what James says. If you have what your brother needs and you're like, be warm and filled, what good is that? You move in, you engage. Hey, how can I pray for you? Hey, how can I take your kids for a couple hours? Hey, how can I do this? That, see, this is why I said, yeah, this is practical, but it is far more than practical. It is deeply, deeply theological because this is what the church is. The body of Christ, the family of God. That's who we are. This is what Jesus has made us. And it is our job to be Aaron and her and prop up arms. And it is our job to ask, hey, a little help. This is one of the ways in which God has provided his grace to help you. And some of you are so, I don't want them to know what's really going on. I don't want them to know that I'm really broken. No, this is God's grace to you, his church, to be the body. And so if you're there today, you need to, maybe you need to not struggle. Maybe you need to get the prayer team afterwards. Maybe you need to grab a pastor or, or someone. I'd say, hey, I need to know where I can get some help with this. That's why we're here. That's the first thing, All right? Let's move on to chapter 18. We're gonna see this, this family reunion. Verse eight, chapter 18, verse one, move quite a quick front. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses, for Israel, for his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. The name of the other is Eleazar, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And so at some point, we don't know when, Moses sends back his wife and two boys. He, maybe he realizes, man, it's gonna be dicey in Egypt. I'm gonna get them out of Dodge. So they go back with grandpa. And all grandpas love their grandchildren, but it comes a point where grandpa wants to send the kids back to dad. And that's where the point where Jethro is. And so verse five, he sends them back. Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law came with his sons, his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. 
Skip that one. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So you have this family reunion. They recount what's it been like the last couple months. They let them know. And then Jethro says, blessed be the Yahweh, the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, who has delivered from the people under the people from the, under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Aaron came with all the elders to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law. And so he recounts what happened. Jethro says, praise God. Jethro, remember, was the priest of Midian. We don't even know what that really means. Was he the priest of the one true God? Was he a priest of many gods? But at this point, he seems to at least come to faith that for sure now that God, the God of Israel, is the one true God. He is, he is the one who defeated Egypt. He is the one who has done these things. And so they have a worship service. And then the next day is take your father-in-law to work day. All right? So this is what happens. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. The people stood around Moses from morning till evening, right? That's a long time. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Right. Why do you sit alone keyword, and all the people, another keyword, stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses answers, he said to his father-in-law, because the people come for me to inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, they come to me. I decide between one person and another. I make them known the statutes of God and his laws. For, for 400 years, the people haven't had to make decisions. Everything's been decided for them. They've been slaves. Now they're free. And so you have two million people living in tents, grumpy, and things are happening. And so they come to Moses, he did it, Moses did it. And so all day long, Moses is having to say, okay, you guys are this, and you guys are this, and you guys are this. And, you, and there's a line longer than the DMV all the way around the camp. And, and, and Jethro's like, what are you doing? And he gives him advice. Right? He's going to give him a piece of advice and said, Moses, you got to change. Right? Moses' father-in-law said, what are you doing? What you're doing is not good. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out. You're going you're gonna to break down. They're going to be frustrated because they're waiting all day long for 12 hours and they still don't get in to see you. This is ridiculous. This is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God will be with you. He's going to give him advice, which you know, every son-in-law has gotten from a father-in-law, Right? But here's, here's a second piece for us. And I think it's a small point, but I think it's significant. You have to be humble enough to ask for help, but you also have to be humble enough to listen, to learn, and to change. Because we are notorious for this is the way it's always been done. This is the way I've always done it. This is the way, right? Moses is 80 years old. 80-year-olds can be stubborn, can't they? I mean, let's be honest. This is the way they did. This is how they do things. This 80-year-old ain't stubborn, though. He is going to be willing to listen. He's not going to be like, Zipporah, you need to tell your dad, I know what I'm doing, just hush him up. I mean, he doesn't go to his, his father-in-law and be like, look, brah, I appreciate the job you gave me for 40 years. That was when I was JV. I'm varsity now. I mean, did you see the Red Sea? Did you see the 10 plagues? Did you see the rock that I hit and water went, psh, Niagara Falls? I, I'm kind of graduated from you. You don't see that. So you see a man who is humble enough to listen, to learn, and to change, right? To change. So the question is this, are you? Am I? When your board comes to you and says, okay, we think that you're doing this in a wrong way and you need to do this and you need to hire this, 
Are you willing to see that as helpful or are you going to see it as, oh, they're telling me what to do and your ego's hurt and you get all defensive and you don't know what you're talking about? You want to listen? You want to listen to your roommates like, look, you've skipped church every Sunday for the last six weeks because you're doing all this extra schoolwork or whatever and you need to be with the people of God. You want to listen and learn or are you going to be, no, 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 I'm going to do this. You want to listen to a spouse who says, hey, I think that the way you talked to your, your son yesterday was just not appropriate. I think you need to go apologize. Are we willing to listen, to learn, and to change? It's a a big piece of our sanctification, right? That we're to speak truth. We're to encourage one another as long as today is still called today. Because sometimes we're called to even rebuke, right? And it's not a slam in your ego, right? It's, hey, this is how you can do things better. After my glorious marathon, um, I was sitting in the ambulance and I was talking to one of our elders and they told me, you're not preaching tomorrow. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm not preaching tomorrow. Sermon's done. I'm already done. I'm fine. Right? And I started to start arguing. No, I'm preaching tomorrow. I'm going to be fine. You know, and, and it's all good. I'll be, I'll be good to go. I don't even want to be. I'm mad I'm in the ambulance. Not because I didn't finish the race, because now I'm going to have to pay the hospital and the ambulance people. And, and I'm mad about that. And I'm just mad, right? And so I'm like, no, I'm preaching tomorrow. I'm good. And they're like, no, we're really not asking you. We're just telling you. We've already called Clint. He's already, he's already on. I'm like, Fine. I still think I would have been fine. I would have been fine. <laughs> now, I couldn't walk because I sat, after I ran 25 miles, I sat there for six hours and wouldn't move, so I couldn't stretch, so I walked around the next day like this. But I could have still preached. I could have done it. But either way, it was super humbling, and it, and it was super good for me to be told, no, you just need to do this and to listen, right? Because it's good for us. For some people, will say, hey, you need to do this different. You need to change um, and so, I, you know, for some of us, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. Some of you need to be willing to listen to change uh, to some people. And that requires you to be in community, uh, which again, this is a shameless plug, but our community groups kill it when it comes to meeting spiritual needs and meeting physical needs and, uh, and meeting emotional needs and just being there. In fact, it, most times, most things in our church get handled at the community group level. This is our primary shepherding strategy as a church. This is the primary way we, which, which we care and meet needs is through our groups. And, and if you're not in a group, we can still do that, but it's so much easier when you're in a group, when you can be uh, knowing people and they know your needs and they can be there and they can meet financial needs if there's something, right? They can carry, they can give advice, they can speak truth. This is, this is, it's a huge piece of what we do. And so I would encourage you when we launch in the fall or even now, even though they have a couple, a couple weeks left, get involved in one of these and, and meet some folks and, and be an Aaron or her or be someone who needs help, right? So he's going to listen and here's the advice he's going to give. And this is where we're gonna zoom in a little bit. He says, now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them known the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, hate a bribe. Place such men over the peoples of chiefs of thousands and hundreds and fifties and of tens and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, every small matter they shall decide themselves. So it'll be easier for you and they will bear the burden. He says, okay, here's your task is to to represent the people before God and, and to teach the people what God says. That is your task. You can boil it down to this, Moses. Your job is to pray and to teach. You pray for the people and then you teach the people what God says and help them follow God and live with God. That is your primary goal. 
And then what you need to do now is you need to appoint men and some can lead a thousand, some can lead 50, some can lead 10, and they can take the little stuff. And so if this guy's donkey bites this guy's camel, they can handle that. When it comes to Amalekites, that's your game, Moses. They'll take the Amalekites to you. They'll take, okay, where, you know, where's the water to you? But the little stuff, let them handle. And then it won't be heavy and everything will work out. So there's two things there that are significant for us, right? Two helpful pieces. Here's the first one for having balance, right? For not burning out. Identify what is my main responsibilities? What are my main priorities, right? And so if you looked at Israel's org chart, right? Some of you in the business world, you know what org chart is. You look at Israel's org chart, every single box has Moses's name. Who gets the water? Moses. Who gets the food? Moses. Who takes care of the sheep? Moses. Who takes care of the complaint department? Moses. Justice? Moses. Money? Moses. Prayer? Moses. I mean, Moses is on every box. And Jethro's saying, that ain't gonna work. You're gonna, you're gonna collapse, Moses. Right? You're going to class because what, what Jethro knows is every person has a ceiling and a line, right? That you can only go so far. And most of us live at that line or over that line. And the more type A you are, the more, the more you go over that line. And that is the place where bad things happen, right? Disillusionment, physical crashing. This is where you self-medicate. This is where you, you go to something else to soothe your soul. This is where affairs happen, all sorts of things. So he says, you got to identify your main, main job. Your main job, pray and teach, right? You got to start there. What are the things that you, in your life, in your season, only you can do? What, are, what is it based on who you are that God has, you know for a fact, this is what God has called me to do. So we're all called to walk with God, our spiritual life, priority, love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? But then if I have a spouse, I have kids. Okay, those are priorities, Right? I have a job, okay, I gotta pay the mortgage. That's a priority. I have the family of God. It is a priority. And you, and you identify those main things that only you can do. These are the non-negotiables. And what we often do is we fly to not what our priorities are, but what is in proximity to us. So your buddy says, hey, you wanna be on a board with me? Well, sure. It's only one night a month which means you already have two other boards you're on, plus your church softball team, not this church, because we'll never have a church softball team where you go and pray and then cuss out the umps. We're not gonna do that. But you have this and you have that, and you know, what's one more night out? It's one more night out. But it's your buddy, so you gotta do it. Your buddy says, let's go to this and do this on this Saturday, and you got your family over here. Or, you know, maybe it's, okay, I got three kids on three different teams, and little Sally, she, her, on her softball team, she made the nine-year-old all-star team. Yay! But the only problem is the nine-year-old all-star team travels three times a month to Atlanta. And so now I got to go watch nine-year-old softball in Atlanta three times a month. But we don't want to let her not be on that all-star team because that might cripple her for life if she doesn't play softball with the nine-year-olds in Atlanta. And you see, it, it's because it's proximity and not priority, Right? And so we have to make choices of what, what has God called me to do? And for some reason, it is so hard for some of us, so hard, myself included, to say the easiest word in the English language, the very first word you ever learned, not mom, dad, no. It's real simple, one syllable, two letters, no, right? I mean, let's practice. Who wants to have green beans for lunch? Anybody want green beans? No, no, yes is no. You want to come clean my garage after church? 
No, okay, good. So you can do it. It's not hard. It's not hard. But we, because we want people to like us, because we don't want our feelings, because, and we say no, uh, we won't say no to things. And they may be good things, y'all. They may be good. But if, if it's not the main thing, sometimes we have to say no. And you can look to, throughout the scripture, hey, Jesus himself does this. When, when everyone's pulling on him to go and do this and be this and heal this and feed this, what does he do? He says no, and he pulls himself away and he goes in and he prays and he gets alone. And Luke 4, the people, he's, he's seen great ministry. People are coming to faith and healing and all these miracles are taking place and they want him to stay and just stay here, Jesus. And he says no. It's not that it's not good. It's just I have other things. I got to go here. I got to go there. I got I got other cities to preach in. The apostles do this in Acts chapter six. They learn from the master. There's about to be a church split over this group of widows is not getting fed. This group of widows is. And they all come to the apostles. Hey, my mom's not eating. And the apostles say, it's not good for us to deal with it. We're not, we're not gonna feed your mom. I'm sorry, because we have to pray and we have to teach. Now they call, they bring a solution, which is our next solution, but they say no to something that's good, that's legitimate. It's just not their lane. They have a priority because if, you, if you're doing all this stuff, something's falling, right? Something's falling and it's usually the big stuff that falls, not the little stuff. And so you gotta identify, maybe a helpful exercise would be for you if you're single, or even if you're, if you're married, to get there with your spouse or, or just get alone and say, okay, these are the things I know that are my priorities, my spiritual walk, right? My job, I gotta, I gotta do a good job here. I gotta do a good job with my family. Here's the priorities for, I got two kids, I got three kids, I got no kids, I'm a single person, I got a little bit more flexible than that, but I got this, 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 whatever it is, identify those main things only you can do that are clearly, and then ask yourself, how am I doing here? What, give yourself a grade. And then if there's all these other things that you're like, oh, that's just these things, and I got all these things, then you know what you can start trimming. Okay, gotta cut that out, that's not gonna help with this, this is actually pulling away from this, Right? Those are outside parties. And beware of the demon comparison. Just a side note. Because I know as men, especially, if your buddy is like building a seven-car garage in his spare time on the weekends, it's like, well, I need to do that too. No, you don't. You don't. You don't know how to do it. Don't do it. <laughs> He's probably out of his league too, but you don't need to compete with your buddy. You keep your priorities. Right? You, you, you do the things... Do the main things God has called you to do them well, right? And here, here's, here's two caveats. Number one, that doesn't mean, I'm not saying go home and quit everything. That's not what I'm saying. I don't want you to go, okay, go email with people this afternoon. I talked to God and Bill agrees, I'm off, I'm out. Not coaching T-ball again, sorry. No, you finish your commitments. The psalmist says that the ones who fear God are the ones who swear to, and to, the, to keep their word even to their own hurt, so you finish your commitment, but then when they ask you next fall, hey, you want to re-up for the board? I think, I, I just don't think I could do that this, this time. Are you going to join our Bible study? No, yeah, I only got 16 other studies. I'm, I'm, I don't need this, but I appreciate it. And then you readjust, but you want to you keep your word. You want to honor people's time and, you, and, and treat people with integrity, but don't go drop everything, but, but make sure you're doing the main. Here's the other thing. Make sure you don't neglect your spiritual life and your physical health. Because those are two of the things that fall first when you're busy, when you're balancing. Your spiritual walk is the most important thing you have, right? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So if stuff is pulling you out of community and pulling you away from the people of God, that's the thing you need to start with. 
And I'm not saying you should ever work on Sunday. I, I know some of you are doctors. I know some of you are, are nurses. I know you, that's your schedule. I'm not saying you never work on Sunday. What I am saying is if you're never with the people of God, you're never sitting under the word, you don't gather with God's church because of extra things, you need to reavow. And here's the other thing. Don't neglect your body. That's the first thing to go. Well, if I just stay up two more hours and I can get this done, I'll just get a quick, quick bite at, at the fast food joint and I'll just drink a couple Cokes and that'll keep me awake. Okay, those may th- you may think you're doing good there, but that's like someone who says, I need to lose weight, so I'm gonna cut my arm off. And that, yeah, that'll work. You'll lose weight, but it doesn't necessarily gonna be helpful. Sleep, rest, eat healthy. Yeah, this, these are things that we don't talk about in the church and I'm telling you, this is one of my pet peeves that, that Christians are unhealthy. And so I'm gonna keep coming back to it. We, and I'm not saying you never eat God's chicken sandwich. Go ahead, God bless God's chicken sandwich. But you need to live a healthy life because it gives you longevity and endurance. And some of you are, are, are looking to crash yourself in your 50s and 60s because the habits you're building with your sleep and your diet and your lack of exercise. And it's no good. And it's sin. It just is. And so you want to talk about that later? I'll go, I'll go crazy with you. Come on. So don't neglect those things. Keep the priorities, the main thing, the main thing. And here's the second thing he tells them is delegate. Hand off things that are secondary. And I know it's hard for some of y'all because you need to be in charge of every meeting. You have to sign every document. You want to have your say in all these things. And, and it makes you feel good. You need to get over your ego. And it's not a question. It is not a question of if you can do it better than them or not. That's not the question. It's just, can they do it? Okay, if it takes one thing off your plate and they're capable, what does he tell them? He says, look for capable people, okay? People who can lead thousands and that's gonna be a different type than someone who can lead tens. They gotta lead 10, that guy's probably highly relational, bad organization. But the guy that leads thousands, he's probably high organization, low, you know, low relation. And you look for people that can, are capable and then you can hand that off. Let me tell you something. Teenagers are more capable than we've let them be in the last couple of years. They can start the washing machine. They can do it. I promise you, you teach them, there's two buttons. Just wash everything with cold and all else fails, wash everything cold, right? Turn it on, hit the button, don't forget the detergent. They can do that. If it takes one thing off your plate, they can do that. They can cut the lawn. They can, they can carry weight at home. Right? And, and, and people at the office, you need to delegate. You need to, you need to do your job. There's things that go on at this church I have no clue. And I don't, it's not that I don't think it's important. It's not that I don't even care. I just don't, people email me like, what are you doing with that? I don't know. They think I don't know, do it. They think I don't work here because I, I don't know anything. Why? Because the elders have told me, stay out of that. Don't get involved because you don't need to be. You need to pray, you need to teach. You need to lead the staff. That's what you need to do. And so I'm like, okay, I'll do that. But people ask me questions all the time. We don't care. Okay, as long as you don't care, your pastor looks like an idiot when they ask about something in the kids. Because I don't know. I don't know about the website. Don't ask me about the website. I got no clue. I don't know what they do up there. I know I turn this on and you hear me. That's all I know. I don't know about slides. I don't know about, you know, whatever. Because I have my lane. There's people that do that and they do it really well. And, that, and that's where we need to be. We need to be willing to hand off. We need to be willing to delegate. We need to be willing to not have ego. Yes, they can, you can do it better than them. I remember when, I, when we first started this church, I did everything. I led the community group. I did the bulletin. I led worship. I, I led the Sunday school. I did it all. As soon as Ethan turned 18, I said, you are an adult now. You can vote and go to jail. You lead worship. Was he as good as me? Probably not then. He's 10 times better than me now. But then, but I just needed to get that off. 
Is he capable? Yes. Right? There you go. And, and that's the idea. And, and, and what's the result? Again, look at what he says the result. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. Isn't that what you want? You want to be able to endure? You want to have peace? People will go home in peace. You'll have peace. They won't be mad at you. You won't drop balls. You forgot to pick up a kid at school. He stayed overnight. He won't be mad at you. There will be peace. Isn't that what some of y'all want? Right? Peace. Right? He endures. And so Moses does it. So Moses listened in his humility to the voice of his father-in-law, did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel, made them heads over peoples, thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens, and they judged the people all the time. Any hard case they brought to Moses, small matter they decided themselves. And Moses let his father-in-law depart and he went his way to his own country. And he endures for 40 years leading these knuckleheads through the wilderness. Why? Because of one piece of advice from his father-in-law. Because otherwise he would have crashed and burned. Right? It's, it's a good lesson. So he gets help. He willingly takes advice. He focuses on the main things. He delegates. There's one more thing. And, and this is a little bit nuanced in the text, but I, I think it's important. And it's important for us always. It's we remember the gospel. And why do I say that? Because I think some of us, you take pride in your busyness. You find significance and that when someone says, what are you doing? Well, I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this. Sounds like you're busy. Oh, I am. And, and there's something that gives you value and you feel approved. And if you're not living life in fifth gear, you feel like you're a loser. Right? And let me just tell you, it may make you feel good, but that is an empty road. You will not find ultimate love there. You will not find ultimate significance there. What you need to do is remember the gospel, because the gospel reminds me of where my significance is. The gospel reminds me of I am loved by God. And there's this little, there's a little passage at the end of 17. You thought I skipped it because I was just skipping text, but you know me, I don't skip no text. So let me jump back. I left it out on purpose. After the battle of Amalek, the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial. What's a memorial? Something you remember. He wants him to remember something. He wants them to, to, to write it in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, who's going to take over next. And he says, I will blot out from memory the, the Amalek, these people who attacked you. And so what does Moses do? He builds an altar, which is a reminder. And he worships. And what does he call this, this altar? Yahweh Nisi. It's the only time this phrase is in the entire Old Testament. The Lord is my banner. And you think, what does that mean? Because when I think banner, I'm thinking, you know, homecoming, go Vikings, woo, you know, something like that, right? And that's a little bit similar, but the idea here is it's a war banner. It is a battle flag where the battle flag goes out in front of the army so you can follow it and you know where it is because it's lifted high and I can walk into battle. And as long as I see that flying, I know we're winning. And what, what Moses is saying is, I want to remember that God is my banner, that he goes before me, that he gives me victory, that he is with me. And that's a reminder that all of us need. And we don't have a war banner anymore, but you know what we have? Our banner is the cross, where it was lifted high, was it not? The Son of Man must be lifted up. And when he was lifted up, what happened? His arms got tired so that he had to give up his spirit, right? Remember, that's how he died of suffocation, 
uh, because you died on, uh, when you were crucified. You, you tried to hold yourself up, get a breath, and then you come down, and eventually you couldn't do it. You couldn't breathe anymore, so you died of suffocation after a painful death. Jesus no longer could lift his arms like Moses, and he gives up his spirit, and he, he lays down his life. But three days later, what happens? The Father raises him from the dead because there is victory. So now your cross is empty, and it is a sign of victory. That goes ahead of us. You are loved. You feel alone, you need to look at the cross. I am loved. You feel tired, you need courage, you need to look at the cross. God is near. He gives you the victory. You feel like you have to impress. You don't have to impress. Jesus took everything that you deserved on himself. You don't need to impress him. He already loves you. The cross is our banner. The cross goes before. And the New Testament teaches that Christ leads us triumphantly, that he prepares good works beforehand that we may walk in them. So if you're wrestling and you're juggling and you're dropping stuff, you may, in a simplistic way, you need to just look to your savior. Look to the cross. Be near to Jesus. And he will be near to you. And you may only get daily bread. You may only get just enough for today, but it'll be enough. And you can go get some more tomorrow. That's what he promises, right? Mr. Miyagi is right, as he always is. Hold life, have a balance. Everything be better. Don't do it alone. Be humble enough to learn and listen and change. Identify your main things and do those. Delegate secondary and keep preaching the gospel to ourselves. Your life will have some balance and you will be able to endure. Let me pray. Why don't you stand and we'll worship. Father, thank you for a, a practical, but just a, a, a lesson I think that we all need. Uh, I just pray for your help, for some of us to be humble enough to ask for help, for some of us to uh, cut things that may be hindering them. Lord, we just trust you. We thank you for just your word being so practical and helpful. Uh, equipping us for every good deed. Uh, I pray for those who, who just need this morning the reminder that they are loved, that they would look to the cross, that they would remember that your banner over us is love. Uh, and so as we worship, as we remind ourselves, uh, just show us what we need to do and we will follow. It's in Christ's name I pray.